Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's still my birthday. We're still doing more Lazy Doctor Who episodes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that uh, that episode one of The Seeds of Death is a pretty good birthday present. I think it's a great birthday present because this is one of my favorite Patrick Troughton stories. Is it really? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I have always been fond of it, perhaps because, A, it exists. <laughs> and so I remember it from, from way back in the day. But I love the music. Um, and I love the direction. So Dudley Simpson did the music, and Michael Ferguson, who did the War Machines, is back after three years away to direct, and I thought there was some excellent stuff in here. But there is all sorts of different stuff that I love about this. How, what, what do you think about this one? Because you've seen this once before, at least, right? I might have actually seen it twice. What? Yeah, same as with the Crotons, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, for Verity, we have a spreadsheet. It's actually a public spreadsheet now yeah. that you can look and see which Doctor Who stories we have devoted an episode of the podcast to. And I checked, and we, we never did an episode about the Crotons, and we never did an episode about the Seeds of Death. But it's entirely possible that we did an episode about Zoe, and I watched the Crotons for that. Or we did it, I think we might have done an episode about uh, villains or somewhat sympathetic villains or something like that and I watched it for one of the characters in this story that I won't actually name yet because we haven't really seen him <laughs> that's right uh, yeah D- do his thing yet just in case somebody is watching a long episode by episode with us for the first time mm-hmm. so I don't want to sp- spoil too much of this story but uh, but I really really like this this story as well um, I've, I've never really thought too hard about what are my favorite Patrick Troughton stories, uh, but I can totally see this being up there as, as one of them because there's a lot of good stuff to come. I mean, we've only seen episode one, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting, but it doesn't have a whole lot of the Doctor and his companions and a lot, not a lot has happened yet. It's it's very much just been set up. Yeah, it has. Uh, um, I, I really enjoyed this, like I said, because it exists, because when I first saw Troughton, uh, fully, I think I was 15 when it was airing on YTV here in Canada. No, 16 uh, when it was airing here. Almost 17. Okay. Probably 17. Now I think sure it. Sure, it wasn't 18. No, because <laughs> I remember. I remember for some reason. I remember November 7th, 1991, was the date that uh, YTV aired the first episode on Earthly Child. Mm. And so by that, by the time it looped around, it probably got into February, March of 92 when I was finally seeing. Um, Troughton. And so for me, season six of Troughton is like, you know, the ones that I know the most. And then it's the ones before that, the ones that have since, since been discovered after that, that are the ones that are sort of like new to me, so to speak. So this is a very familiar Troughton story for me. And it's just a jolly um, adventure. You know, there's like, we already, like, the it's the opening, even like the opening titles where they have a specially shot little model shot with the moon and earth and stuff with the music from Dudley Simpson in there. I mean, that's pretty cool. And we're back to having the closing titles start to <laughs> roll over the, the picture as opposed to in the Crotons. That was one thing that I found kind of jarring in all four episodes that at the end of the episode, it drops and fades to black mm-hmm. and then the titles come up and it just, it felt very, very jarring because I'm just wasn't used to that i i think i like it better when the credits start to roll over the final shot because i feel like that is more gives more tension mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's up to the director i suppose or perhaps the story mm-hmm. to for the director to decide how they're going to do it you know mm-hmm. 
that it's sometimes it can be abrupt like in the Croton. Sometimes it helps to be abrupt, like the cliffhanger to episode one of the Daleks when Barbara's pinned against oh, the yeah. wall and then she screams and it's the scream that carries out over the blackness before the next episode, the uh the survivors comes up. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. It it is kind of like they aren't wasting time. Mm-hmm. And nor does it hang on a shot. Like there were a couple shots in the invasion, uh, cliffhanger <laughs> shots where yes. like Jamie Sue looks up at this weird something wriggling in the uh, yep. in the crate that he's with, and he sort of like looks, he looks back over there, looks there because the camera hasn't faded out yet, so he's acting yep. as long as possible before the camera fades. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, or like when Tobias Vaughn at the end of like the second to last episode is is so upset at the Cybermen taking mm-hmm. over, and like <laughs> as you said at the end, I was like, oh, close up on the uh, on on the bad guy, and you were like, yes. How will Tobias Vaughn react to this development? I'm like, yep. Yeah, this is this is not a phenomenon that's restricted to Doctor Who. I've been binging, which I never do, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine as of late, and I, I'm just reminded by the this. It's you know, Deep Space Nine, TS, TNG, uh, Next Generation, and Voyager are basically shot the exact same style, and there's always that end of segment acting you know we're like oh no someone's just collapsed then dr Bashir or whoever dr crusher and tng sort of has to like medical emergency and then you know he sort of looks off into the distance as the music sort of fades up and the camera sort of slowly fades to black thinking if it was a medical emergency you wouldn't <laughs> sit there for six seconds doing nothing and it's just yeah that delightful end of episode acting was charming <laughs> oh television yeah yep um oh there's uh, I, I I don't want to speak too highly of of all the things that are are yet to come but but already we get a very del- uh, not delightful because he's he's very terrified the whole the whole story but Terry Scully plays Fushum and I think he was the reason you watched this story for Verity I think it was for like sympathetic yes. villains and he's like he gives such a believable yet frantic performance because you know he's more concerned about wanting to live than to like be a hero and, and save T-Mat from from the invaders yep yeah like the, his uh b- captain or whoever was in charge just like Os- Osgood 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 was his name yeah he was just like sure I'll help you and then immediately sabotaged everything to mm-hmm. make sure that you know he's basically giving his life uh to save Earth and he didn't necessarily know for sure that he was gonna die but he had to know that there was a very good chance of that so he he does what he needs to do and uh and yeah that's definitely a thing that Fushim would not not even um consider Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because it's not like, you know, I get the impression that uh, that Earth and the Moon and TMAT are not susceptible to alien invasions in these days. And so, like, it's not like they are trained for such events. So he is naturally quite, like, frantic, like, I just want to live. I want to get out of this alive. I don't care about, you know, going down in flames to save TMAT for Earth and being a hero. You know, it's it's so... He's just very at the very edge from from the very start. I just I, and you feel for him. Kind of. No, you don't. I do. I see. My thought was uh, when it's just the three of them left. Um, you know, Osgood has already died, and the other two men are like, "Don't help them. Like they'll be able to get to Earth." I have to admit, my thought was that, like, you know, as soon as the ice ice warrior, we didn't know at the time it was an ice warrior, but like as soon as he walks away, one of those guys should strangle him. 
<laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh-huh. Like if they if they were really <clears throat> had the conviction of their principles in the same way that Osgood did, like they should be able to see. Like I'm sure they've worked with this guy for a while, and mm-hmm. they made it very clear before we even saw him on screen that he is a screw up mm-hmm. and probably shouldn't have this job in the first place but he just needed a break and osgood took pity on him and he keeps screwing things up and and yeah so like i mean if i was the type of person like osgood who was willing to sacrifice everything to try to save save my planet uh and i was still alive at that point i might just put him down for fear that he would collaborate and hurt earth but the, the other two guys who are left are not uh not of that mind um and i mean fusion has a point like they don't necessarily know what what these aliens are capable of they probably don't even know who these aliens are mm-hmm. so it's entirely possible that even if they don't help them they're going to make it to earth anyway so fusion's definitely got the point that like you know where there's life there's hope as yep. long as they're alive there's the possibility that they will be able to get out of it alive or do something to be helpful to earth later on whereas if they just refuse to co- cooperate they get killed and there's no hope whatsoever at least for them so i'm you know both both osgood's uh, tactic and fusion's reasoning both have merit which is one of the things that i think i really like about the story yeah there's no black and white solutions to their problems they sort of have to work around the um the pitfalls of of both yep yeah exactly mm-hmm. um did you notice any of the directorial flourishes in this episode that I do because I, I pointed out like the one the sort of the close focus when like uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Miss Kelly is sort of like in profile shot in the foreground and awesome. H- Osgood is in the back there and they sort of focus between which is not usually done in 1962. Yeah, rack focus. Mm-hmm. That's that's I, I'm always a fan of a good rack focus and it's not just like it's a rack focus to from her to him and from him back to her. Yeah, so, pretty classy. Yeah, and then there was another shot which I really liked where. Whoever it is, the person played by Rick Felgate, who is in three of the four Doctor Who stories that Michael Ferguson directed, comes up and talks to Miss Kelly. Miss Kelly's behind that, that sort of opaque yes. window, and then she moves out, and then we see that Commander Radnor is just in, the, in standing in the doorway at the far end of the room. Yeah. Thought, what a, that was mm-hmm. very visually impressive. Yeah, I was enjoying it just from the beginning. I was like, how bold to have her just standing behind this. You know, it's not entirely opaque; it's like translucent, so you can Trans- yeah. so you can see her there, and you can hear her dialogue just fine i was like that's a really cool visual shot and then yes um i hadn't even sort of noticed that then when the camera moves you see commander radnor just framed in the doorway in the background so it was uh, yeah like that's that there's some some seriously kind of cool stuff going on here yeah he's one of my favorite directors um and he i i was i discovered this this, this past year when i watched the sandbaggers mm my favorite new TV series from 2018 <laughs> that I saw. And at the end of episode one, I noticed that producer was Michael Ferguson. He, he went on to direct about half the episodes as well. So, and I, I could, I could tell, Oh, this has got some flourishes. Just Michael Ferguson didn't direct this. And then he did. And so I was very, <laughs> very pleased that I noticed his directorial style. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. I I I also like, you know, we were talking in the Crotons about the science fictional sort of ideas. Mm-hmm. I I like this too. They've really set it up far future Earth. They've abandoned space travel because they've got this the you know, TMAT technology which, you know, there's a part of me that wants to go, wouldn't you have a mechanical backup just in case it goes down? And then I think about the way that the world works and I think about the way that government works and the way things are funded. And I realize 
this is actually not that far-fetched of a situation for society to be in. So they've, they've come to be completely reliant on this thing. And, uh, and yeah, there's not, there's not a lot, uh, there's not a lot of backup. No, because why would you pump money into two things knowing you're only going to use the one, you know? Yep. Like, you know, what if air travel in our world completely ceased for some reason? Like it just ceased to be the case. We, I don't think currently have enough uh, boats and ships and stuff to get people around in the way that we did in the past, passenger Mm -hmm. ships, uh, because that used to be the way to travel. And like the amount of people who want to go back and forth just simply wouldn't be able, like it it would be a, a bit of a catastrophe. Not like maybe it's, you know, there are still some backups, whereas in this case, the idea that all they have is one ship being, one rocket being built by a guy in a museum. That's even farther afield. But uh, but hey, at least they've got the one guy. Well, we're not an alternative universe. So we don't have like blimps ready on standby and other dirigibles. So uh, which would obviously be the alternate mm-hmm. in um, to yep. air travel and plane flight and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. All alternate universes have blimps and zeppelins. That's, that is how it works in science fiction. I've learned this from television and movies. Yeah, even Doctor Who subscribed to that trope and um, The Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel, two-parter. <gasps> really? Wow. You remember that? Yeah, like I literally know. the first thing they notice when they land is, oh, there's blimps everywhere. Oh, we must be in an alternate universe. I had forgotten about that because yeah. it's the same thing in Fringe. And oh, really? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Blimps everywhere in Fringe uh, in the alternate universe. Um counterpart do they have blimps in counterpart no i i was gonna mention counterpart but i don't think so and it's a shame because it takes place in germany and think that oh there's gotta be a blimp i mean come on there's gotta be a dirigible but it was only uh in counterpart um the the two universes only split 30 years ago <clears throat> so true. the demise of the dirigible happened before our universe split off from the counterpart universe in that show that's a that is a, a show that that we recommend and that uh we should probably get into watching season two one of these days because it's been airing for a while one of these days but we have doctor who to get through because yep. of course we have to get to uh <laughs> doctor who and the silurians by the time um well spirit from space too although you've seen that one yep. um because he's verity's covering the season seven mm-hmm. uh it's starting in march ish mm-hmm. i think are you going in order for that by the way uh, yeah, I mean, we're not doing like boom, 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 here's all of season seven. We're oh. kind of going back and forth because we're also doing series 7A right. and seventh doctor stories yeah. and the seventh episodes or seventh stories in in seasons and seventh season. Like we're, we're doing sevens. Yeah, I, I, I forgot now that uh, you aren't covering Spearhead from Space because you already covered that in a yep. previous year for first probably, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Okay. Sorry, that that's where I got messed up. Um, there, interesting. There's a there was a line removed in the script writing process where Eldred is talking about his rocket. He was going to say, "This is the rocket that uh, that uh, first got us to the moon and stuff." And then they took that out when they realized, well, you know what? America's probably going to land there in a few months, and that's going to mm-hmm. be obsolete. This is where we were. Oh, this is the wow. exciting time. So like, you know, like the next episode is like the space pirates and stuff. And so like Do- Doctor Who's sort of like capitalizing on the um, the space race and the sort of the massive uh, excitement about space travel thanks to the impending moon landing, which is kind of makes that, you know, humanity loses interest in rockets and everything. Mm-hmm. A- an interesting little quirk to that. 
Yeah. yeah. And they are in a space museum, which I thought was funny. Like they've yep. been in a sp- But this is a museum about space as opposed to a mu- museum that's just in space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. But <laughs> it's more of a space museum because mm-hmm. really the space museum wasn't in space either. It was on a planet called Zeros. Well, that's true. On a planet in space. This is a very Earth-centric television show, you realize. Earth is in space. Yeah, I know, but nobody... Copernicus. Thinks- <laughs> nobody thinks about it that way, though. Yeah. But yes, it is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight minutes and five seconds past the first episode before the Doctor and Jamie and Zoe are actually even seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and... And it's uh, the rest of what's happening is just so interesting to me that I don't mind. Mm. Um, you know, kind of like the first Ice Warriors story, because I was really interested in like the future politics of of the world there right. too, like with the Ice Age and the glaciers mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was all just that was all fascinating, and I, I liked the internal politics of of all of that. Um, yeah, also the underwater menace was it where I really really liked the society and and all the people. Yeah, so like there's a lot of Trouton stories where they just and, and the Macra Terror. So like all of these yeah. futuristic and alien societies that are well built out enough that I am fascinated by them. I feel like the Crotons didn't quite meet that uh, that level. Uh, I find the Crotons like a a comfortable fun story to just sort of sit and enjoy and watch i find some of the other stories this included more uh, i enjoy them because they're challenging and they're interesting and they're fascinating mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of challenge and and, and and that sort of thing in the crotons but i just right. like it because it brings me joy i like this because it brings me like uh, a, a frisson of excitement the seeds of death you mean yes yeah yeah, me too. I also like uh, that what brings often the what lifts a story up for me is the incidental music, and this is in the midst of Dudley Simpson's best period as incidental musician, in my opinion. He sort of starts with the Ice Warriors, or no, Evil of the Daleks. He's, he's good. He's got some good stuff, and then Ice Warriors has a really memorable score, and then he does the next three uh, of the Troughton era, the last three, I guess. This, um, the Space Pirates, and the War Games, and it's just very. You know, I just love the little timpani bits in there. And it's just sort of like a very present and dramatic musical score. I've always been a very, very big fan of it. So it's been it's been delightful to hear that uh, music as well. I didn't notice and I don't remember anything about it. I'm sorry. I will hum oh boy. some of the relevant bits in the future episodes when we get to them. And you will know. I don't doubt it at all. Boom, boom, bam, boom, bam, boom, boom. That's that's a that's a Dudley Simpson timpani uh, bit right there. Yes, it is. Yeah, some phaser on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. It's good stuff. Uh, is that it? Is that all you got to say for episode one? I guess so. I just I I mean for for all the fact that it's it's d- dumb and sucky that they have no backup to get to the moon for Teamat. Um, I really wish we had Teamat. <laughs> like that's. That is a like I, I I wish that we had it with a better sort of backup system in place. Um, you know, it, it it actually does make good sense to me to run it from the moon, as opposed to from someplace on Earth. It seems like that would be a, a thing that would make sense. But uh, but yeah, not having some other manual way to get back and forth is is a bit of an oversight. So I am going to write to all of my Congress people and ask <laughs> them to develop TMAT, but to also uh, keep NASA working on um, manned travel as well. That's true. Mm-hmm. Transfer out Edmonton to Madison, transfer completed. That's how you would get to. Uh... 
oh my god that would be so great i could visit my mom and dad yeah. mm-hmm. and they could visit us mm-hmm. yep then we could probably annoy people too Does, although if it was to madison it would be to visit my brother technically yeah does every um you know because tmat capsule like eldred assumes that they arrived via tmat so mm-hmm. are there tmat capsules like everywhere like they watch that little um uh, promo video and they, they have a TMAC capsule like in the middle of London and stuff like are there only public places or like are do rich people or do everyone have does everyone have like a TMAC capsule and if so I can't imagine because that control center that robot voice is the computer voice is like rattling off every single transfer I don't think it's rattling off every single transfer I think it's rattling off all the big transfers of um, you know supplies and goods and stuff like that because they specifically talked about in the little promo video about like it's not just for people it's for it's for goods and services Mm -hmm. or or goods at least that so I feel like it's the the big transfers of important things like food stocks and, and that sort of thing that are being you know manually and directly controlled by the moon i suspect that the kind that you would have on you know the london city street or in a museum or possibly in a rich person's house i don't mm-hmm. think this is in everybody's house would be the kind of thing like a phone booth where you could literally just dial i want to go to this place and then you know you might have to wait a little bit for the system to to ring it up and and bring you through because there's priority for the the big big shipments as well mm-hmm. um but I'm, I'm thinking that the computer is probably um manually keeping all of these people abreast of the big deal stuff and the personal transport is sort of secondary could be i like i'd like to have this world fleshed out perhaps if this story was 10 episodes long we could get uh, a lot of that backstory i i'd be for it <laughs> Me too. But it's not. It's six episodes, and we've watched episode one of those. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Do you have anything else to say about this one? Uh, no, I'm just I'm looking forward to episode two, but it is now very close to my bedtime, yeah. and I have to go to work tomorrow. Freaking day job. Yeah. So. Sorry about that, but I hope you enjoyed this uh, this little Super Bowl counter-programming marathon, five episodes mm-hmm. that we that we watched. We've been rattling through some of these Trout and stuff, which is exciting for me because I quite enjoy watching them, and I really enjoy watching this story. I No promises. My hope is that we can get this one done before Gallifrey won. Um, five episodes in like a week and a half. I'm sure we can probably do that. I hate it when you say, I'm sure we can do that because then it doesn't happen. That's also very true. It's like saying piece of cake in the movie Labyrinth. Something terrible is going to happen. Well, I tell you what though, uh, we won't promise anything at the convention because that is very difficult to make happen sometimes. Yeah. uh, That's just too frantic. Yeah, it is because, you know, I just like, I like wrapping up a story before a major event like Gallifrey One, you see. I mean, I I do too, but I also know us, and I also know how frantic our schedule is leading up to Galley and preparing for it, so I don't want to promise anything. So that would be nice, but meh, who knows? Well, here's the thing. I was going to wait until later to tell you, but Uh that little bit of Gatorade that you had, I lace it with caffeine, so you're going to be up all night anyway, so let's roll on the Seas of Death episode two. It's your birthday, so I can't harm you. Um, but I have a really good book I could just stay up and read. Yeah, you do. I wouldn't do that to you. No, I know. Yeah. I know you wouldn't. Exactly. All right. Well, until next time, folks, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.